This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Kirsten Ferreri, Los Angeles, California, July 2006. The Leavenworth Case by Anna Catherine Green. Book One The Problem. Chapter One A Great Case. A Deed of Dreadful Note. Macbeth. I had been a junior partner in the firm of Veeley, Carr, and Raymond, attorneys and counsellors at law, for about a year, when one morning, in the temporary absence of both Mr. Veeley and Mr. Carr, there came into our office a young man whose whole appearance was so indicative of haste and agitation that I involuntarily rose at his approach, and impetuously inquired, "'What is the matter? You have no bad news to tell, I hope.' "'I have come to see Mr. Veeley. Is he in?' No, I replied. He was unexpectedly called away this morning to Washington. Cannot be home before to-morrow. But if you will make your business known to me—' "'To you, sir?' he repeated, turning a cold but steady eye on mine. Then, seeming to be satisfied with his scrutiny, continued, "'There is no reason why I shouldn't. My business is no secret. I came to inform him that Mr. Leavenworth is dead.' "'Mr. Leavenworth!' I exclaimed, falling back a step. Mr. Leavenworth was an old client of our firm, to say nothing of his being the particular friend of Mr. Veeley. Yes, murdered, shot through the head by some unknown person while sitting at his library table. Shot? Murdered? I could scarcely believe my ears. How? When? I gasped. Last night. At least, so we suppose. He was not found till this morning. I am Mr. Leavenworth's private secretary, he explained, and live in the family. It was a dreadful shock, he went on, especially to the ladies. Dreadful, I repeated. Mr. Veeley will be overwhelmed by it. They are all alone, he continued, in a low business-like way, I afterwards found to be inseparable from the man. The Mrs. Leavenworth, I mean, Mr. Leavenworth's nieces. And as an inquest is to be held there to-day, it is deemed proper for them to have someone present capable of advising them. As Mr. Veeley was their uncle's best friend, they naturally sent me for him. But he being absent, I am at a loss what to do or where to go. "'I am a stranger to the ladies,' was my hesitating reply. "'But if I can be of any assistance to them, my respect for their uncle is such—' The expression of the secretary's eye stopped me. Without seeming to wander from my face, its pupil had suddenly dilated till it appeared to embrace my whole person with its scope. "'I don't know,' he finally remarked a slight frown testifying to the fact that he was not altogether pleased with the turn affairs were taking. Perhaps it would be best. The ladies must not be left alone. Say no more. I will go. And, sitting down, I dispatched a hurried message to Mr. Veeley, after which, and the few other preparations necessary, I accompanied the secretary to the street. Now, said I, tell me all you know of this frightful affair. All I know. A few words will do that. I left him last night sitting as usual at his library table, and found him this morning seated in the same place, almost in the same position, but with a bullet-hole in his head as large as the end of my little finger. Dead? Stone dead. Horrible! I exclaimed. Then, after a moment, could it have been suicide? No, the pistol with which the deed was committed is not to be found. But if it was a murder, there must have been some motive. Mr. Leavenworth was too benevolent a man to have enemies, and if robbery was intended— There was no robbery, he again interrupted. The whole affair is a mystery. A mystery? An utter mystery. Turning, I looked at my informant curiously. 
the inmate of a house in which a mysterious murder had occurred, was rather an interesting object. But the good-featured and yet totally unimpressive countenance of the man beside me offered but little basis for even the wildest imagination to work upon, and glancing almost immediately away, I asked, "'Are the ladies very much overcome?' He took at least half a dozen steps before replying. "'It would be unnatural if they were not.' And whether it was the expression of his face at the time, or the nature of the reply itself, I felt that in speaking of these ladies to this uninteresting self-possessed secretary of the late Mr. Leavenworth, I was somehow treading upon dangerous ground. As I had heard they were very accomplished women, I was not altogether pleased at this discovery. It was therefore with a certain consciousness of relief that I saw a Fifth Avenue stage approach. "'We will defer our conversation,' said I. "'Here's the stage.' but once seated within it, it was soon discovered that all intercourse upon such a subject was impossible. Employing the time, therefore, in running over in my mind what I knew of Mr. Leavenworth, I found that my knowledge was limited to the bare fact of his being a retired merchant of great wealth and fine social position, who, in default of possessing children of his own, had taken into his home two nieces, one of whom had already been declared his heiress. To be sure, I had heard Mr. Veeley speak of his eccentricities, giving, as an instance, this very fact of his making a will in favour of one niece to the utter exclusion of the other, but of his habits of life and connection with the world at large I knew little or nothing. There was a great crowd in front of the house when we arrived there, and I had barely time to observe that it was a corner-dwelling of unusual depth when I was seized by the throng and carried quite to the foot of the broad stone steps. Extricating myself, though with some difficulty, owing to the importunities of a boot-black and butcher-boy, who seemed to think that by clinging to my arms they might succeed in smuggling themselves into the house, I mounted the steps, and, finding the secretary by some unaccountable good fortune close to my side, hurriedly rang the bell. Immediately the door opened, and a face I recognized as that of one of our city detectives appeared in the gap. "'Mr. Grice!' I exclaimed. "'The same,' he replied. "'Come in, Mr. Raymond.' and drawing us quietly into the house, he shut the door with a grim smile on the disappointed crowd without. "'I trust you're not surprised to see me here,' said he, holding out his hand, with a side-glance at my companion. "'No,' I returned. Then, with a vague idea that I ought to introduce the young man at my side, continued, "'This is Mr.—' "'Uh, Mr.—' "'Excuse me, I do not know your name,' I said inquiringly to my companion. "'The private secretary of the late Mr. Leavenworth,' I hastened to add. "'Oh,' he returned, "'the secretary. "'The coroner has been asking for you, sir.' "'The coroner is here, then?' "'Yes, the jury have just gone upstairs to view the body. "'Would you like to follow them?' "'No, it is not necessary. "'I have merely come in the hope of being of some assistance to the young ladies. "'Mr. Veeley is away.' "'And you thought the opportunity too good to be lost,' said he. "'Just so. "'Still, now that you are here, and as the case promises to be a marked one, I should think that, as a rising young lawyer, you would wish to make yourself acquainted with it in all its details. But follow your own judgment. I made an effort, and overcame my repugnance. I will go, said I. Very well, then, follow me. But just as I set foot on the stairs I heard the jury descending, so, drawing back with Mr. Grice into a recess between the reception-room and the parlour, I had time to remark, The young man says it could not have been the work of a burglar. "'Indeed?' fixing his eye on a doorknob nearby. "'That nothing has been found missing, and that the fastenings to the house were all found secure this morning. Just so.' Uh, "'He did not tell me that. In that case,' and I shuddered, "'the murderer must have been in the house all night.' Mr. Grice smiled darkly at the doorknob. "'It has a dreadful look,' I exclaimed. Mr. Grice immediately frowned at the doorknob. 
and here let me say that Mr. Grice the detective was not the thin, wiry individual with the piercing eye you are doubtless expecting to see. On the contrary, Mr. Grice was a portly, comfortable personage, with an eye that never pierced, that did not even rest on you. If it rested anywhere, it was always on some insignificant object in the vicinity, some vase, inkstand, book, or button. These things he would seem to take into his confidence, make the repositories of his conclusions. But as for you, you might as well be the steeple on Trinity Church for all connection you ever appeared to have with him or his thoughts. At present, then, Mr. Grice was, as I have already suggested, on intimate terms with the doorknob. A dreadful look, I repeated. His eyes shifted to the button on my sleeve. Come, he said, the coast is clear at last. Leading the way, he mounted the stairs, but stopped on the upper landing. Mr. Raymond, said he, I am not in the habit of talking much about the secrets of my profession, but in this case everything depends upon getting the right clue at the start. We have no common villainy to deal with here. Genius has been at work. Now sometimes an absolutely uninitiated mind will intuitively catch at something which the most highly trained intellect will miss. If such a thing should occur, remember that I am your man. Don't go around talking, but come to me, for this is going to be a great case, mind you, a great case. Now come on. But the ladies? They're in the rooms above, in grief, of course, but tolerably composed for all that, I hear. And advancing to a door, he pushed it open and beckoned me in. All was dark for a moment, but presently, my eyes becoming accustomed to the place, I saw that we were in the library. It was here he was found, said he, in this room and upon this very spot. And advancing, he laid his hand on the edge of a large, baize-covered table that, together with its attendant chairs, occupied the centre of the room. You see for yourself that it is directly opposite this door. And crossing the floor, he paused in front of the threshold of a narrow passageway, opening into a room beyond. As the murdered man was discovered sitting in this chair, and consequently with his back towards the passageway, the assassin must have advanced through the doorway to deliver his shot, pausing, let us say, about here. And Mr. Grice planted his feet firmly upon a certain spot in the carpet, about a foot from the threshold before mentioned. But, I hastened to interpose, there is no room for but, he cried, we have studied the situation and without deigning to dilate upon the subject, he turned immediately about, and, stepping swiftly before me, led the way into the passage named. Wine-closet, clothes-closet, washing-apparatus, towel-rack, he explained, waving his hand from side to side as we hurried through, finishing with Mr. Leavenworth's private apartment, as that room of comfortable aspect opened upon us. Mr. Leavenworth's private apartment. It was here, then, that it ought to be, the horrible, blood-curdling it that yesterday was a living, breathing man. Advancing to the bed that was hung with heavy curtains, I raised my hand to put them back, when Mr. Grice, drawing them from my clasp, disclosed, lying upon the pillow, a cold, calm face, looking so natural that I involuntarily started. His death was too sudden to distort the features, he remarked, turning the head to one side in a way to make visible a ghastly wound in the back of the cranium. Such a hole as that sends a man out of the world without much notice. The surgeon will convince you it could never have been inflicted by himself. It is a case of deliberate murder. Horrified, I drew hastily back, when my glance fell upon a door situated directly opposite me in the side of the wall toward the hall. It appeared to be the only outlet from the room, with the exception of the passage through which we had entered, and I could not help wondering if it was through this door the assassin had entered on his roundabout course to the library. 
but Mr. Grice, seemingly observant of my glance, though his own was fixed upon the chandelier, made haste to remark, as if in reply to the enquiry on my face, "'Found locked on the inside. May have come that way, and may not. We don't pretend to say.' Observing now that the bed was undisturbed in its arrangement, I remarked, "'He had not retired, then?' "'No, the tragedy must be ten hours old. Time for the murderer to have studied the situation and provided for all contingencies.' "'The murderer?' "'Whom do you suspect?' I whispered. He looked impassively at the ring on my finger. "'Every one and no one. It is not for me to suspect, but to detect.' And dropping the curtain into its former position, he led me from the room. The coroner's inquest being now in session, I felt a strong desire to be present, so requesting Mr. Grice to inform the ladies that Mr. Veeley was absent from town, and that I had come as his substitute, to render them any assistance they might require on so melancholy an occasion, I proceeded to the large parlour below, and took my seat among the various persons there assembled. End of chapter 1